All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weather Break Podcast, episode number nine. We're going to talk about some video game news, um, which you'll hear about in the show. I'm not going to read every topic. Um, we're going to hear casting for X-Men Apocalypse, uh, some new news about that. We also have a new Spider-Man slash Peter Parker to talk about. Um, we're going to catch up with Eddie on a Stargate adventure. Uh, we have some some folks on the internet that have issued challenges for the musical mystery challenge Internet Smackdown. Yeah, new name. Um, plus, I'm drinking some really good beer, and we're going to talk about that. And Same. we also have a new Spider-Man slash old Spider-Man slash a Spider-Man to talk about in comic book news. So without yeah. any further ado, what's happening? Nothing much. Want to yeah. start with Spider-Man? Let's talk about Spider-Man? Uh, which Spider-Man do you want to talk about? Uh, let's talk about Miles Morales first. Miles Morales. This is actually both one of the most interesting and most disappointing in sort of one fail swoop, um, although not surprising. Um, so in the Spider-Man universe in the comic books, um, or rather the Marvel universe proper, we have a new Spider-Man, or rather uh, um, Spider-Man sort of changing mantles. Uh, this time, rather than just having the ultimate Spider-Man, we get Miles Morales in Marvel proper. I think the 616, is that right? Is it still the 616? I don't know. Um, so, for those of you who may be listening for the first time, we have, uh, within the comic book universe in Marvel, we have several different universes. The 616 has been known as, is, is what we have known as the central Marvel universe for a long ass time. Um, and then there's other universes that are assigned numbers. Even the MCU actually is is numbered somewhere in the continuity there. Um, but following the heels of their latest uh, super big company-wide crossover, the the Secret Wars, I don't know, if, should we call it Secret Wars 2, I guess, just for sake of clarity? Um, it's, it's shaken some things up, so we have things that didn't used to exist in one universe that now exist in, in other universes. This, that, and the other thing. So, yeah. Uh, Miles Morales, Ultimate Spider-Man for a long time. Yep. For those of you also unfamiliar, Ultimate Spider-Man, as in um, there's the whole line, um, which is a whole other universe in the Marvel continuity. Um, that's the Ultimate uh, Universe. And actually, those are my favorite books, probably. Um, especially because they're relatively recent, like the um, Spider-Man, Ultimate Universe Spider-Man is, um, I think was around 2001, and there's something only like 150 issues or something. So Yeah, I think early 2000s <clears throat> when the Ultimate series came out. Yeah, so you can actually jump into it right now, and there's relatively little investment, and you're not going to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm missing out on this you know, last 75 years of continuity or something like that. Um, so Ultimate Universe is a good jumping in place. The other good thing about the Ultimate Universe is that it's a little bit more modern compared to the um, 616 universe. So one of the things that came about in the Marvel Ultimate Universe is that Miles Morales, a uh, young African-American kid, I want to say he's like 14 or something. Slash Hispanic. He's, he's Latino as well. Oh, that's he's, true. He's multiracial. That would be the Morales part of the Miles Morales. Indeed. Um became spider-man um through similar although different uh means that than uh peter parker um and at first i was kind of like ah, i don't know about this because you know peter parker sort of is synonymous with spider-man and and he's one of those characters that like when you picture superman i don't think you picture 
um, anyone aside from Clark Kent and pretty much to say otherwise is blasphemy. So just, but, I, and I don't want to cut you off. Uh, I want I want to get back to your thought, but just to kind of set people up with the ultimate universe and, and what it was meant to do. The ultimate universe was kind of an opportunity to give some of the newer artists and, and writers a chance to kind kind of like reinvent the wheel, so to speak with Marvel. So you have, your your primary base set of characters like Tony Stark is still Iron Man, um, and and when the Ultimate Spider Man series started, which I believe it was the first one, either Ultimate Spider Man or Ultimate X Men, they were the, they were the first of the Ultimate they were, books. They were really early, yeah, definitely. Um, Peter Parker was still Spider Man. I mean, it it told the story of him being a high school kid and and doing all the Spider Man stuff. Miles Morales came around uh, came around later uh, when when Peter Parker. Spoiler alert died yeah way later um so if you read the the marvel and i i really like spider-man i really like the ultimate run of spider-man so i read the whole everything you know series um miles morales was really only around for like the last say 15 percent, and at that point it got a little confusing because they changed the title around a little bit um and so, uh, but yeah, the, uh, Peter Parker was definitely still Spider-Man in the ultimate universe and Miles Morales didn't take up the crown until, um, really the last part of the run. And, uh, we were kind of discussing this before the show, but Miles Morales kind of got stuck in one of those, like, did we get enough, you know, uh, um, viewers like hiatuses that some shows get on TV, um, sort of, you know, mid season cutoff. So uh, it's it, I'm glad to see Miles back because he actually was a really good, likable character, was good as Spider-Man. Um, one of the speculations coming about was that we might see Miles Morales in the cinematic universe um, since we have issues with uh, copyright and stuff like that and Sony holding the rights to Peter Parker's Spider-Man. We thought that it might be interesting to get around that by going the Miles Morales route. Um, and I still would really like to see Miles Morales in the cinematic universe at some point, but anyway. I don't, I don't think it's unheard of. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I, when, when we talk about, um, Miles Morales and I was, I was talking to Eddie about this before we, we actually started recording tonight. It, Miles Morales has actually been back since the, um, Marvel now took over like about two years ago and they kind of relaunched the ultimates as well. Um, at that point. And, and it's, the relaunch of Ultimate Spider-Man actually started with Miles Morales and stuff. And I, unlike Eddie, have not read the entire Ultimate series. And I had very little exposure to Miles Morales uh, until I started reading the um, uh, Spider-Verse uh, crossover event that took place just about three months ago or so. Or maybe it ended three months ago or so. Um, I I like him. Um, he's not your mama's... Spider-Man, so to speak. He's uh he's brash, he's cocky, kind of just jumps in without thinking a lot of the time whereas Peter Parker was more he had to, he kind of fought with himself, Peter Parker it seems like a lot of a lot of times before he actually kind of jumped into battle and stuff. And once he was there, he had the the you know the snark and stuff like that, but Miles Morales is kind of troublemaker. See, it's funny you said that because I think that might be a little bit of the difference in the Ultimate Universe because Ultimate Peter Parker was much less um I don't know, I guess calculating like you're, you're saying like in the ultimate universe, especially um, Peter Parker was kind of similar to that. 
which I don't want to say that that uh, Miles Morales is like a carbon copy of the ultimate Peter Parker because he's not. Um, in fact, I, I would say to his credit, he's just different enough that it's interesting, but not so different that it's like, well, this isn't Spider-Man anymore. You know, like I can't. Why read it? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get what you're saying about the ultimate Peter Parker versus, you know, the, the 616 Peter Parker that we're, you know, used to. Um, in fact, when, when they relaunched uh, Spider-Man it, cinematically a few years back with uh, Andrew Garfield, I kind of felt like Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker was a little bit more like ultimate Peter Parker than the traditional. Oh, definitely. In, Actually, in that sense. that's one of the things I really liked about the um, amazing series of movies is that although they were titled after the um, 616 book, Amazing Spider-Man, um, they definitely felt a lot more Ultimate Spider-Man to me. Um, and there's a lot more cues taken from Ultimate Spider-Man, I think, in in the Amazing series uh, movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, with, uh, with Miles Morales taking over, maybe he's not taking over. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how the it's going to go. I got to read Secret Wars first before I, I kind of jump too far into it because I want to see how everything kind of flushes itself out. Um, they've done away with Peter Parker in the recent past and... Uh, it led to a series of super fucking good books. Uh, the, what is it? Uh, Superior Spider-Man series that oh, uh, yeah. that Marvel now actually started with um, in terms of their Spider-Man titles was ridiculous good. Uh, initial run was 31 issues. They did bring it back for an issue or two during the uh, Spider-Verse event. Um, Basically, the premise was that Doc Ock had switched his mind into Peter Parker's body and Peter Parker's mind into Doc Ock's dying body. And it, I was skeptical because I, you, anytime you put a hero in that kind of position where he's dead, you don't know how he's going to get back, that kind of a thing. Um, a lot of the time, I it, it, the stories in between are kind of filler to me. This was not like that. This the, the run with Doc Ock as Spider-Man was phenomenal. Um, and and I'm, I'm going to be honest, the, the entire reason I even read it was because of something that Stan Lee had, had tweeted or uh, Dan Slott, who's, who's writing Spider-Man or was writing Spider-Man. Up in, uh, I, I don't know if he still is, but he had tweeted something, a happy birthday to Stan Lee uh, the year that that this happened and Stanley kind of responded and, and uh, it's my birthday and your gift to me was you killed one of my favorite characters. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and that kind of, that kind of sparked my interest in the whole thing, but I, I, I'm glad it did because it was, it was an amazing run. Uh, anyway, enough about that. So Miles Morales, are you going to, are you going to pick up any of the, the new issues and check it out? Uh, definitely at some point. I I have such a backlog of comics that I want to read right now. I don't know when that'll ever be, but um, it it certainly sounds interesting. Like I I think it it's a probably a good move, um, for Spider Man, all 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 together, um and and you know the thing with Marvel and the thing with comics in general is that nobody's ever really dead. So if you're like a diehard Peter Parker fan, like there's no way that Peter Parker's not coming back at some point, in some capacity. So, yeah, yeah, um. When I first started reading comic books in the 90s, Green Lantern was one of the first books I started with. And it was it the first set of Green Lantern books I read were the first books where Kyle Rayner um, was given the ring. Yeah. I, I never really knew much about Hal Jordan and all that kind of stuff before. And 
I'm kind of glad I didn't because it, I really enjoyed the, the, the first, my, my first run at Green Lantern with Kyle Rayner as, as the, the new Lantern. And it was only later, you know, as I, as I started reading back issues and things like that, that, um, I, I came to appreciate who Hal Jordan was and stuff like that. And I think if I had been in, in the mature comic book, you know, kind of set in my ways mode, I would have pissed all over everything that Mars did in terms of, of introducing Kyle Rayner and stuff. And, um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't because he, Kyle Rayner still to this day remains one of my favorite parts of the Green Lantern universe, but I'm, I'm happy as a pig and shit to have Hal Jordan back. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I'm the same way. Like I get sort of old and stuck in my ways too. And my initially reading the Miles Morales books, I didn't like it right off the bat because it wasn't Peter Parker. Like, um, big that was the biggest thing. It was not Peter Parker clearly. Um, but that actually worked out pretty well. Um, because like you said too, I I really ended up liking those books, and I can't help but think that if I had just been introduced to the character of Spider Man, I probably would have found that just as valid a story as you know the original uh, Peter Parker Spider Man. So. Yeah, uh, same with Wally West um, in terms of, of The Flash. I mean, Wally West was The Flash from 1985 on, and nobody who grew up in the 80s or late 80s, early 90s really knew who Barry Allen was, but obviously Barry Allen was huge when it comes to DC Comics in, in, in terms of The Flash because, I mean, look at look at the new TV series. Who Who's The Flash? It's Barry Allen. Yeah, even the last, in the 90s, Flash was Barry Allen too, wasn't it? No, they they didn't reintroduce Barry Allen until. So who was who was uh, the '90s Flash with was Wally uh, West. the guy that plays the dad now? That was Wally West. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. The the TV series, yes, no, you're absolutely correct. That okay. was Barry Allen. Yeah, um, they kind of they kind of converged things too because Jay Garrick was was Jay. Was, I don't know if it was his dad. Uh, and he wasn't a flat. I mean, he he wasn't part of the the Speed Force or anything like that. It, it's yeah. just his name was Jay Garrick. So I think that was the the '90s way of of showing love to uh, previous generations was, hey, we're going to use your name. It's just not going to be accurate in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Nobody cares that you were the Flash, Jay Garrick. Shut up. Except yeah. for all of you people that totally care. Right. All right. So should we move on to more Spider Man news? Other Spider Man news. Absolutely. We have a new Spider-Man in the movie universe. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna kind of pull your opinion on this one, dude. Because when we first heard that Sony and, and Marvel were making a deal to get Spider-Man, um, to it, you know, together, part of the breaking news on that was... I, at least as far as I, I remember, I thought the uh, one of the one of the deals was that the MCU got the first crack at him. Like we, that was the first we were going to see. Yeah, because I, I don't think he's I thought maybe it was rumored for a while that it was going to be in Civil War. Um, but I think it's probably too late in the game for that to happen. Um, but I think he's for sure slated for uh, like one of the next um, Avengers movies, if nothing else. Are you googling? You have to Google because I can't remember for sure. I'm not. I'm not googling. I'm trying to fix this fucking link that you were putting in. Still. <laughs> it's fucked up. It's gonna stay that way. It's fine. All right. Uh, anyway, um, 
So yeah, I'm, I'm not. I don't. I'm not going to put that much thought into it. But uh, anyway, the, the article that I read today, um, we have Tom Holland has now been cast as as Peter Parker um, slash Spider Man, and and I, I hope I'm it, not the only one. But when I heard Tom Holland, I was like, <gasps> okay, great. Who? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've seen one picture of him so far. I didn't. Yeah. I think the. I think what I posted the the um, the, the link, link that I posted. I think there's a video. Um, you should actually check that video out because it makes him a whole lot believable, more believable as Spider-Man in like four seconds. Okay, I probably will because I, I just what what everybody has to understand about me when it comes to internet videos, I don't watch them a lot of the time, man. Like <laughs> it's only six seconds. Literally, you can watch it right now. Go ahead and watch it right now. I'll cut this. I'll cut this out. You don't even have to cut it out. Just entertain the audience with interesting filler while I'm yeah. spending six seconds watching. So, a oh, six-second okay. story. Yeah. <laughs> See? Told you. Yeah. It's like a vine or something. Yeah. So, he, And he what, just did that, huh? What you're not seeing is, uh, first off, Tom Holland, I think, looks fine as far as Peter Parker goes. Like, he looks like a Peter Parker character. He's a little bit nerdy. He's a little bit skinny, which is perfect. Peter Parker is not supposed to be this gigantic, buff, huge character, you know, um... So I think that works really, really well um, as far as just a very basic. Uh, Imagine if you can kind of the perfect hybrid between Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because that's not something um, or that's something I definitely thought seeing him was like he's sort of in the middle. Like he's got a little bit of um, Toby's facial features, but. Uh, um, a little bit more, you know, nerdy hipster vibe like um, uh, Andrew Garfield had. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this, but I really enjoyed Garfield. Yeah, as, as Peter Parker slash Spider Man. I no, I'm with you. Like in the and movies, fuck- didn't have Mary Jane, which was a plus for me. And not that I hate Mary Jane, I love Mary Jane, but um, I don't think you can really tell a good Spider Man story without starting at, at Gwen Stacy, um, because Gwen Stacy really was his first love and really did die because he fucked up. And, or maybe not he fuck you know, it's just like he, there had to be something to, to, to kick his ass into gear. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't have that in the original trilogy with Tobey Maguire. And don't, those movies were good in their own right. Well, the first two movies, the first were, good two movies right. were good in their own right. Yeah. <laughs> and then the only movie that we saw Gwen Stacy in for those was uh, Spider-Man 3. And that movie was so terrible that you forget that that was his other girlfriend in Spider-Man 3 when he was all emo and shit. Yeah, no, I I totally try to forget as much as possible anything I, from in the fact, movie. I'm not kidding you. I didn't remember that that was even Gwen Stacy until I was IMDb-ing uh, Jurassic World because I saw that earlier um, in the week. And the main, the main heroine in that movie is the chick that played Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, so I can understand why people wouldn't like Amazing Spider-Man or the Amazing Spider-Man movies, but I, personally, I think I prefer those a little bit. Um, they are not without their faults, um, but I thought those movies, I thought, were a better representation of Peter Parker in general, and a little bit less whiny Peter Parker, which, don't get me wrong, Peter Parker is is not like the uh, source of bravado in basically any of his incarnations i mean peter parker is cocky as a defense mechanism or yeah peter parker is cocky as a defense mechanism um that's sort of one of his key traits but which i thought actually andrew garfield did a much better job with maybe that's the part that 
like I really like about Spider-Man is that Spider-Man is a shit talker. Like he's going to make up or he's going to, he's going to be the guy that tries to distract you um, simply by talking shit. Uh, yeah. He kind of makes up for all of his insecurities that he has as Peter Parker as you know, by, by being Spider-Man and, and talking shit. Exactly. To everybody. <laughs> exactly. Um, one of my favorite scenes ever is actually um, the ultimate Spider-Man run where he's talking to Kingpin which I'll leave that to you guys to go find, but it's a super funny scene. And even if you only see that scene, it's still hilarious and it still totally makes sense out of context. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I had a couple key problems with this Tobey Maguire uh, series. And one of them is I didn't like the webbing shooting out of his wrists. I thought that was, Oh uh, yeah. I thought it was bad storytelling because it's one of the key points to Spider-Man in my opinion has always been that, not only does he have these amazing powers, but he was incredibly smart and developed the web fluid and the sh- and the shooters and stuff like that by himself as a, as a teenage kid. Um, and Sony's big excuse for that when that when it launched, because I wasn't the only one that felt like that, um, was that it would take too long to tell that story and it would have made the movie three and a half hours long or, or what have you. Um, yeah, obviously, that's not the case because they did it with Amazing Spider-Man and cue the Team America music. They used a motherfucking montage. And it was fine. Like, yeah. uh, they, they did that. I remember exactly thinking that that thing when we when I was first watching Amazing Spider-Man, I remember thinking exactly that thing because I, I can't remember if it was Sam Raimi or who was quoted about the Maguire Spider-Man saying, you know, we couldn't have done the web shooters because it would have taken too much screen. It would have been like it was 20 minutes of screen time. And then uh, in Amazing Spider-Man, it was like, oh, three minutes. We're good. And it, it was, was perfectly, even three minutes. It was yeah. perfectly fine. It was perfectly fine. <laughs> It was like a, um, no, yeah, I can't think of the example I want. Um, but yeah, that, it was a totally solid way to do that. And I was totally fine with it. So, yeah. Yeah. And the other, the other piece that I really enjoyed about the amazing, uh, duology was the, the villains that we saw were more, they were kind of a, a, an amalgamation of your standard Marvel universe with ultimate stuff thrown in like Electro totally, totally vibed more with the ultimate series than it did with the six one six. Definitely. But there was, there was still a little bit of basis in, in the original characters and stuff like that. And that's, I think we can, you can do that when you can pull from several different sources and make a, uh, or create a good story. That's all anybody asks. Oh, uh, and we see that all over. Like uh, a lot of the, um, things we're liking about the new Batman versus Superman trailer is actually an amalgamation of several other stories, although most notably probably the Dark Frank Knight. Miller. <laughs> Frank Miller. Frank Miller in the Dark Knight. There's a lot of other things in those trailers that you can see. Um, and even Man of Steel. There's a lot of things in Man of Steel that you can see pulled from all kinds of different books in the Superman mythos, not particularly just one run. So, Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, um, the problem with Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, really fell with, the, I think, the second movie, which was just because script issues, honestly. Like, there, there was a lot of things that were drawn out or cut too short and so on and so forth. And they fell victim to the whole trying to cram too much stuff into one movie thing. Um, but for all of that, uh, the the there was a lot of things that I really, really loved about that movie. Um, most notably, um, and again, spoilers, uh, the Gwen Stacy thing. Yeah. Um, and is it just me or that kid that they got to play uh, Osborne, Harry Osborne? Oh, yeah. He was solid. 
was he reminiscent? I mean, is he reminiscent as, as, to me? Like, really, he reminded me a lot of a young Leo DiCaprio. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, not only the image. look, but the way he delivered the his lines, stuff like that. Like, the kid really impressed me during that movie. You could have thrown um, him right on Growing Pains, no one none of the difference, <laughs> or put him on the bridge of a fucking sinking ship or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So yeah, um, bunch of cool, cool Spider-Man news. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, what I was getting at at the beginning of the article uh, with the whole MCU getting the first crack at him, I thought that was a given because I thought it was reported previously. This article kind of spins it a little bit differently and says that it's rumored that we may see him first in the MCU and then in a solo movie in 2017. Um, I, I'm siding with the we'll see him first in the MCU. I think it's probably, I don't know if it's too late. I, I, I think you might even maybe throw him in you know even even if it's just a stinger for civil war like at the end of the post credit scene something like that that was exactly what i was going to say is that th- this would make the absolute perfect marvel stinger like i could just imagine any number of like spider-man opening lines and then you just see the web shoot across the screen like that that like people would stand up and applaud in the theater i'm sure uh, i guarantee it yeah guarantee it um any other cool Anything? Any other thoughts on Spidey? Uh, make more movies that aren't bad. <laughs> like I, I really Spider-Man is probably one of my favorite superheroes of all time, and I really want to see him in awesome stuff. Like I really want that to be like one of the things. Like the Amazing Spider-Man is the worst thing I could say about him is that there's nothing particularly special about them. Um, so I really want to see Spider-Man done I... extremely well. I would I will disagree with you on one point. I think it's spectacularly special that we finally got to see the lizard. <laughs> That's a good point, I guess. Because because they kind of they kind of started giving us a hand job a little bit in the first one with Kurt Connors oh, being yeah. one of the instructors and then they never fucking paid off. So we had blue balls for several years until Amazing came out, and then and we got to see a really fucking spectacular job uh, with the CG work and everything they did with the lizard. I thought that was really really good. So, um, anyway, yeah, uh, don't don't make movies that suck. Uh, the other the other thing that I was going to point out about this article too before we before we move on to the next topic, it really seems like the quotes that we got from Sony in, in this particular article really give the the affiliation with marvel a positive spin like uh especially when they talk about kevin fage and what marvel has done with their characters to give them such viability on screen and stuff like that it seems like it seems like sony um well as much of the deal was as about money as as you know anything else i think a lot of it and why they ultimately were able to come to a deal was because they recognized marvel um, studios has a, a really really good knack for bringing us things that we want to watch so yeah i don't want to i don't want to spend the next half hour on it but i i entirely think that's what this whole deal is about this is this is sony actually kind of being a little bit of the bigger person and saying okay uh we're not you know we're not firing on you know like they're taking previously completely unheard of properties like um Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'll go ahead and throw it in and say Ant-Man. I think Ant-Man's going to do really well. I'm looking but, forward to it. But they're taking these unknown properties and absolutely dominating, and Sony can't take Spider-Man, you know, one of the biggest characters of all time, and turn it into a big deal. Um, so, 
I think this was a little bit entirely Sony saying, okay, uh, maybe you could come give us some story input, air quotes, and by that I mean write the fucking story for us because we don't get any of that shit at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really does seem to me like they're like Sony is, is kind of chomping at the bit now to get this thing moving to see what, what happens now that Marvel is actually officially involved so yeah um kudos to two big fucking studios uh i'm actually really excited that they finally managed to you know uh, um stop being little bitches about it and and write a decent spider-man hopefully i mean we it's yeah, all we remains yet, to be but... seen but um i i think the outcome of this could be the best spider-man we've seen yeah no no like i was gonna say kudos to two big studios uh who for all intents and purposes don't have to do something like this um, but kudos to them for actually being able to come to an agreement, work together and, and, you know, hopefully you both come out whole in the end because I think this is going to be for the best. Oh yeah. I don't see how they don't both win unless the movie's a gigantic flop, in which case lots of shit has, has to have gone wrong. So I don't think with, with Marvel's, with Marvel Studios being involved, I think Spider-Man first appearing on screen with a giant dildo attached to his head will, will still make some money yeah <laughs> you know if I mean? nothing else i i imagine they'll be able to produce a, a few really awesome trailers which will get some asses in seats because i think there's going to be enough people hyped for the fact that we have both marvel and spider-man combined like that right there you sold me a ticket like i i think the stinger at the end of civil war will be the bigger trailer i mean i think i think at that point it'll render any any future trailers moot to be fair, but I think you're right. I, I think a couple good trailers um, can definitely result from this and, and make everybody, everybody happy. Um, so yeah, uh, more Marvel news though. Let's, uh, let's hit that real quick though. Cause we got more, um, well, and Marvel movie, not quite Marvel movie. Um, Fox Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. X-Men apocalypse. Um, so, there's a uh, uh, an article that was posted recently on uh, on the Nerdist that talks about uh, a leather shop in New York uh, being commissioned by Hugh Jackman slash Fox Studios to create a a new backpack. They they put on their Instagram account that uh, that they were being commissioned to do this job for his role in X Men Apocalypse. Um, quickly, very quickly, the Instagram post was taken down, uh, presumably by you know men and suits showing up at their front door no i don't know i don't know how fox works but um <laughs> like no seriously take that shit down like it'd be really funny uh, actually imagining this scenario because imagine you're this small leather working shop and i don't know like commissioned by hugh jackman does that mean like hugh called them up and was like so uh anyway i need a backpack and it needs to say what it like it needs to scream wolverine you know like so make it look like wolverine but it's not it's just a regular backpack just for you know me hugh jackman no big deal right or right. if it's like, okay, no, here here you go. If you want to do this thing at all, here is a 497-page legally binding contract in which we will take all of the things you have ever loved to even think about this project. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I, I And I think it was probably a simple mistake. I, I, I don't know that there was a non-disclosure agreement, you know, when, they, when he came in, because you got to think there wasn't, but... I would think that... Um, you know, big studios being involved. Hopefully somebody would have figured that shit out, but um, you never know. Like it, it might've been some intern at the leather, or I guess I would call him an apprentice since we're talking about leather working. It might've been some trade, apprentice. Yeah. yeah. That just 
got overzealous with the whole twittering and, and or instagramming in this case and posted some stuff but you know i i this is probably is probably a fan you know what i mean and he was super oh. geeked at, at getting this job i yeah me too so yeah I, I totally get it um same article goes on to talk about how ian mckellen uh came out and said that he was not going to be in it which to me that's i mean almost non-news i i wasn't actually expecting him to be in it in any way shape or form were you um was ian mckellen in the last one yeah because it was days of future past so it was it had future you oh. and past Magneto. yeah you're right okay um yeah no i could see you, you i could cut that part out too if you don't want to sound like a douche <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so yeah no i could see them not including um present day magneto yeah this this movie takes place in the 80s so I, I, in no way, shape, or form am I expecting actually any of the of the uh, quote unquote uh, original cast to appear. This, um, this could very easily just be Fastbender and the rest of the gang. Yeah. Um. And 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 I think we've already seen trailers for this. Like we know we're gonna get get some new slash old X Men, but like Jubilee and things like that, or or in characters like that, are in this movie. Yeah. Uh, super stoked about about seeing Jubilee and 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 Jean Grey, and it, to me, I think it's gonna be like X Men class of nineteen ninety five, yeah, but take place in the eighties, um, and I'm I'm to- okay with that. But uh, yeah, no, um, me too. So so Jackman possibly being in Apocalypse, I think we kind of all suspected that he was gonna make an appearance anyway. Um, is this is this Jackman's last Wolverine? Because I know that's coming up real soon. Wolverine, the working title is Wolverine 3. It's the sequel to The Wolverine will be his last appearance um, mm. as Wolverine. But that, I mean, in no way, shape, or form does that mean that he, he can't be in this since this is going to yeah, release definitely. first. Doesn't mean he can't be in Deadpool because Deadpool is going to release first. And it almost doesn't mean that he couldn't even make an appearance in Gambit because I think Gambit probably is going to make an appearance, come out before Do that. we know? Do we know anything about Gambit? And when I say we, I mean, do do I know anything about Gambit? Because I'm super excited about that idea. Um, Just that it's got what's-his-fuck in it from 21 Jump Street uh, as Gambit. Um, Channing Tatum. Oh, Channing Tatum. Yeah, no, I seen that the other... Or, sorry, I saw that the other day. That's why I was asking, trying to jog my memory. Um, which actually does not seem ridiculous, except for, is he going to have that nice, sweet Southern Creole accent? That's what I'm wondering, because Channing Tatum, to me, I've I've never seen him in a role that really kind of demands, I don't know, fucking anything from him. Yeah. Um, Even even his role as Duke in G.I. Joe, um, or, you know, his better role as Duke in G.I. Joe Retaliation, where he dies in the first 20 minutes. Spoilers! (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, Um, nobody's watching the G.I. Joe movies. Dude. The second one was good. The second uh, one honestly and truly felt right. like a G.I. Joe movie to me. You haven't watched it yet, have you? No. Yeah, I'm not going to knock it. Um, because quite honestly, <laughs> I think that Channing Tatum as Gambit has a better chance at box office success than um, the ridiculous mockery of a Joker that we have in the Suicide Squad movie. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, I'm not going to harp on it for 20 minutes. I'm just throwing that in there. Uh, yeah i totally get that but um one of the things that i really want to see is a really one well done gambit with the with the southern creole uh, so here's the thing I, like, I didn't have a problem with the kid that played gambit in the x-men origins wolverine movie even though that movie sucked as a whole i i didn't yeah. hate that that kid so yeah 
I don't know. I, I, I'm excited for that, too, because Gambit's one of my other favorite X-Men ever. Um, but I also don't really hold a whole lot of hope because although Channing Tatum seems like a totally fantastic guy, um, he, he does not, like, he doesn't scream like Leo DiCaprio was like one of those, like, oh, he's just a heartthrob and nobody's, he doesn't matter. You know, like he can't act or anything like that. And then Leo was like, oh no, fuck you. Everybody but the Oscars who's still not going to acknowledge that I know shit about anything. Um, but I don't know. Uh, Channing doesn't necessarily strike me as that, like, um. Every movie I see Channing Tatum in still seems like he's just playing Channing Tatum. Yeah. Um, it's it's a really kind of sad state of affairs that my favorite two movies that he's in are 21 and 22 Jump Street. Because those movies are ridiculous stupid, but goddammit, they're so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hilarious, actually. Um, the other day, uh, like in the last week or so, Channing did an AMA on Reddit. Um, which just go to the Reddit slash R slash I A I A M A page and you know figure out what an AMA is. But anyway, he did the AMA and somebody was like asking him questions about like Step Up, you know the movie Step Up, the dance movie, and Channing's Tatum or Channing's answer was something along the line of, um, "Yeah, the only thing I can see in that movie is how bad my acting was," and I laughed because it's like, well. Yeah, you and everybody else chatting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, he's one of those guys and and here's the thing. Um I find myself extremely extremely um happy with the fact that I have a wife that doesn't run and jump at the chance to go see Magic Mike or Magic Mike XXL. Yeah. Um, and which I understand he's a big part of have no fucking clue if his performance is Oscar worthy. I'm going to guess no, um, not based on his talent, but just on the, on the fucking movie itself. No, um, I'm, I'm sure magic Mike XXL will be receiving lots of attention at the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm not going to bash him. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give the other movie a chance and I'm going to go see it because I, I, I like you, I like Gambit. Um, if you, um, as an audience, are uh, thirsty for learning more about Gambit, if you don't already know, uh, there was a Gambit miniseries in the mid-90s that you should go check out uh, for sure. I think it's in trade um, at, at your local comic shop or uh, look it up on Amazon because yeah. it's probably cheaper than your local comic shop or you may not have a local comic shop. Right, well, one more thing before we move on. I will say this about Channing Tatum. Um he definitely started off as a completely terrible actor. Sorry, Channing. Uh, but as he moves forward, you can definitely see his progression. Like he definitely gets uh, sizably better with each role that I've seen him in, which admittedly is not much. Like most of the, what I I know him of is um, the Twenty One Jump Street movies. Um, but he he did even better from the first to the second one. Although you know less drastic. But I think the last thing I saw him in before that was uh, that Nicholas Sparks movie, which was awful dear john dear john ashley and i went for that went went on a date night thing to that and it was terrible like really like one of the worst movies i've ever seen not just because it's chick flick i can totally watch chick flick mean girls one of the best movies of all time uh this was just terrible on all i haven't seen it but i'm a lohan fan so i mean you should see it it's like the pre-crack horror lohan crazy days yeah um you know it's funny you mentioned nick sparks because I haven't seen that movie, <laughs> and I probably won't. Brilliant segue. 
Um, um, don't, don't. It's you shouldn't. Nobody should. I I didn't hate the Notebook. Ashley, again, my wife made me watch the Notebook. I did not hate the Notebook either. Granted, it was a little cheesy. It was a little, you know, like contrived, but it was not terrible. Like it was fine. Um, Ashley, you know, liked it. I don't think there was any doubt in my mind from the first five minutes of that movie that James Garner was that kid that they were talking about in the flashbacks. Oh yeah, me too. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean that movie wasn't terrible, and it and it had uh, was it Scarlett right, Scarlett Johansson? Mm, I want to say. No, or was it's, that? Uh, no, it was. Uh, God, what's her name? Regina George from Mean Girls. Uh, it's really annoying. I can picture her perfectly, but I cannot think of Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're you're totally right, and uh, feel free to uh, not make me sound like a douche. Cut that out too. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm leaving this in anyway. <laughs> you motherfucker. No, um, and then. IMDb and the way they list casting sometimes is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's like um, Plex. Plex does this too. Like we were watching, um, I don't know, one of the Harry Potter series, and it always lists, you know, like three cast members in the Plex description. And if you're thinking about Harry Potter, who do you think the three cast members it would list? Probably Harry, Hermione, and Ron. No, that's never it. Like those are never it. So you'd think, I don't know, Snape, Dumbledore. No, nope, never. I bet Professor McGonagall is up there toward the top. Yeah, probably. Like it's like Professor McGonagall and like the the kid that played like Professor Flitwick, the third reserve. Warwick Davis is always going to get top credits, right? But the way Plex lists casting too is is the only thing slightly more ridiculous than IMDb. Warwick Davis has such a chip on his shoulder about things now that like I almost want to list him instead of having his actual name within IMDb. I want to go through and change everything to that dude from Willow. (laughs) <laughs> just to humble him a little bit uh, um poor guy I, I listened to an interview with uh with the uh the 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 little person that plays the character of hornswoggle in uh on wwe because he was in uh, a movie called uh leprechaun origin yeah no recently clue. and they were Apparently, Warwick Davis was getting a lot of internet traffic based on Leprechaun Origin, and he was extremely arrogant about the fact that this was not one of his movies, that, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and and the dude that played Hornswoggle, and I apologize, dude, that played Hornswoggle for not knowing your name right now. <laughs> um, but he was just basically like, no, this movie's actually good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which I can't verify because I haven't watched it, but uh, <laughs> I know that any movie they make six of basically probably wasn't good the first time. <laughs> well, maybe I will say like the original, like Jason, Friday the Thirteenth, etc. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, not I, too bad, but yeah, but I retract it, that statement because you're right with Nightmare on Elm Street and and night and Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, you're you're right. The, the especially the original, the original Friday the Thirteenth was a, an amazing movie didn't have jason in it except for when he drowned yeah like the first i'd say few the first couple maybe you can get away with me the first three and then after that it's like oh yeah just a bunch of crazy shit happens yeah yeah okay. uh, but you're right it was it was definitely rachel mcadams and ryan gosling um who i thought was brilliant in that movie actually um for a check no. like like 
yeah, like it, it was a fine movie. Like there was nothing about that movie in particular that I thought was bad. Um, it was just maybe I thought a little bit contrived, like it was a little bit too designed. Um, but yeah, no, fine. So I, don't, anyway, I don't think I don't, I don't think every Nick Sparks movie or uh, book needs to be a movie because um, I think romance novels serve a, a, f- a certain purpose. Yeah, and most of those aren't aren't really transferable to screen unless you're talking like late late night Showtime or HBO. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think Nicholas Sparks has a bit of a shtick. Like, like M. Night Shyamalan is the other one that I think that has a clearly defined shtick, and it gets really old once you know it. Was it, it was it really clearly defined? Was anything about the village clearly defined other than uh, that movie fucking sucked? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thou shalt not mention the last Airbender movie. Anyway. It, uh, anyway, um, I'm going to amend that with a M. Night Shyamalan. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. Um, anyway, just, just don't uh, anymore. <laughs> getting back to X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs> uh, a recent recent uh, Instagram photo and other footage um, has actually given us insight into another character that will be making a reappearance in X-Men Apocalypse. And that will be the Fox X-Men Universe version of Quicksilver. Um which I was happy with during the Days of Future Past, so I'm not upset that he's coming back for Apocalypse. Yeah, no, um, I don't know if it's that I loved that character in Days of Future Past or that I loved that particular sequence. You know the one I'm talking about if you've seen the movie. Um, the, the Quicksilver scene there was by far better than anything we got from Quicksilver in Age of Ultron. So, yeah, happy to see what they do with it that that no, actually is one thing i thought that they I, did I think we talked better. about this pretty much on the last podcast or maybe the one before but um i dug the sequence in in x-men days of future past like the character and the marvel universe better uh like the sequence of days of future past like a shit ton so uh yeah they, they, and they're gonna they're gonna develop him a little bit more uh with this new movie i i, I would suspect if he's gonna be in it there's got to be a little bit of, of character progression so um Keeping keeping my eye out for that one. Looking forward to it. Ditto. That's it for Marvel news today. Um, we got video games, though. Lots of video game news uh, over the last... Uh, for those of you listening, we haven't recorded a podcast in like two weeks because we're both really fucking lazy. And um, also, we both have full-time jobs that kind of get in the way sometimes. So, mm. video game news. Lots of stuff. E3 was last week, so there's been some pretty cool announcements. Um, I'm going to start with one that wows nobody, um, and that's going to be Microsoft announcing backward compatibility uh, in the near future for the Xbox One. All I say to Microsoft on this one is, because you made a big deal about not making things compatible, backward compatible, ever when you launched the Xbox One, um, and then your sales went to shit, so now guess what? Oh my god, like, if you could go back in time, like, I remember a huge, huge shitstorm of people saying they would never, ever consider buying an Xbox One because of all of the basically retarded decisions Microsoft was making about the console um, in the, you know, say, six months leading up to its release. Locking the games to one console. Yeah, Yeah. just a, a, a fucking plethora of, like, absolutely moronic decisions. Um, and not being backwards compatible was not necessarily one that I would have included in there because there's lots of good technical reasons why you wouldn't be backwards compatible. Sure. Take, for example, the PS4, which is x84 or based, um, or sorry, x86 based now, 
rather than having it sell architecture, I could totally buy that they did not make the PS4 backwards compatible with PS3 games. Not PS3 so- has to be emulated basically on a, on a PS4, and that's it takes a lot of hardware and it takes a lot of technology in order to emulate those games uh, when you take them from a from a cell based processor to an x86 architecture. So yeah, so- totally totally buy it. As a result, I don't believe we're um, getting any sort of backwards compatibility with the PS4. What you're seeing a lot of the times is just remakes of games ported to um, the PS4 architecture, which is fine. Um, but the Xbox 360, um, or the Direct Xbox, as uh, if you're wondering where that name came from, um, definitely comes from an x86 architecture. So why they wouldn't make it backwards compatible was almost kind of like a why why just why why wouldn't you i'm sure the amount of effort taken for that is so minuscule um why wouldn't you do it it's essentially like the very similar to a pc architecture um both consoles are so why wouldn't they put it make it xbox or make it backwards compatible was just a giant question mark for me yeah no i have have a buddy that actually works for a video game shop and uh and he follows video game news pretty closely and stuff like that and and one of the things that, that he pointed out uh, within the last couple of months is that when they were releasing numbers, both Nintendo and PlayStation released their numbers of units sold to customers. Microsoft only listed their gross number of units sold, which includes retailers yeah. and customers. Um, and it was it was barely competitive with PlayStation's number of units sold specifically to customers. Um, so we know that if they're not if they're not making that distinction when they actually announce their numbers, then they're not proud of what they're doing. And I, I think this this definitely points to that because this was never going to happen. And then a year later, it's happening. So <laughs> um, anyway, uh, enough harping on Microsoft because as much as they do wrong, they do some stuff right too. So I don't, I don't want to completely bury them. Uh, but we have some PS4 news. Um, and I'm going to say that... So here's here's, as a consumer... When when both the Xbox Xbox One dropped and the PS4 dropped, I wasn't a fan of either console. Um, as a result, I don't own either console. I still have a PS3. I'm happy with with my PS3. Um, I understand that its its days are numbered at this point. PC um, Master Race. But uh, one of the reasons I I wasn't interested in the PS4 was because the thing that I used my my PS3 for, and I don't so much anymore because I have other devices now. But the thing that I used my PS3 for the most was streaming media from uh, my my digital copies of movies that I have on my hard drive on my computer, um, streaming my music through my TV, all that kind of stuff. Couldn't do it with PS4. Um, and then they announced the, via a blog the night before E3 um, that app is now available. Uh, in fact, it should have already shown up on your console um, if if you have it connected to the internet and to use it, all you have to do is click it and it will download the the actual app and allow you to play media through your PlayStation um, and stream it from your computer and all that good stuff. Um, and this one supports MKV file format, which is nice. About time. I don't know how in like 2015 anybody doesn't support MKV. As I understand it, though, even the PS4, as new of a console it is, still relies solely on FAT32 file structure hmm. um which runs know, in man. the file size limits pretty fast actually it does it does anything over four gigs can't really do it unless you're streaming it uh via your networks and stuff so um 
as much as that limitation is a limitation, what is not a limitation is the other announcement that PlayStation made at E3. Huge announcement. The Final Fantasy VII Remake. What do you think, man? I'm actually really excited for that. Like, um, There's this small handful of games that I desperately want to play. Um, and I, I'd probably include the Final Fantasy VII Remake in that list of games. The other one um, that comes right to the top of the mind is uh, The Last of Us, which is also being remade for PlayStation 4. Um, so, you know, at some point I probably want to own this console. I don't know when that's going to be, but I, I probably want to own this console just to play a, a small handful of games, but definitely, uh, Final Fantasy VII is right up there. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking probably by December is when, is when I hope to have mine by, cause it'll give a couple of the key games that I want to play, um, a chance to c- kind of settle down. So I'm, I'm getting... I, not for price it's just i don't like playing games when they're like the biggest thing out there right now because listening to everybody talk about it doesn't make me want to play it more i just want to be able to kind of relax and play a video game that i want to that i really want to enjoy um final fantasy 7 uh remake is definitely up there there's some things that i'm scared about though um because they're anytime you do a remake because this isn't this isn't like a port with updated graphics they're they're redesigning the game from ground up the story is going to be the same um Gameplay, though, is going to be modernized and stuff like that. So don't make Final Fantasy VII into Final Fantasy XIII because it's completely fucking linear and I hate it um, for that reason, as pretty as it is to watch. But do make a, a respectable remake of, of Seven because Seven was one of my favorite storylines ever in, a, in an RPG game. So... Um, yeah, I'm excited. Like those two things alone are like, okay, now I'm okay with getting a PS4 at some point because there's things that that interest me about the console. Up until this point though, and you know, I'm 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 not going to lie. I've been a huge video game fan for a long time. I don't have as much time to play them as I used to cuz married with kids and all that good stuff, but this made me interested again. So, yeah, uh totally. Um so Along the other, uh, another reason that I'm, you might want a console this week, um, Arkham Knight was released. Uh, the new Batman game from Rocksteady was released, and uh, I was anxiously awaiting purchasing it on Steam for my PC uh, uh, Tuesday evening or Monday evening. It's Tuesday evening right now, except I can't. Uh, so by now you might have heard if you follow any sort of video game news that Arkham Knight's uh, PC port is basically terrible. Um, my particular PC is uh, um, a i5 uh, um, with 8 gigs of RAM and a NVIDIA 5, 560 GTX video card in it. And I still play um, all of the other Batman games near high settings on pretty much everything. I can play Skyrim on Ultra. I can play, you know, lots of other games, you know, just fine. But I don't even meet the minimum requirements for um, Arkham Knight. So I didn't buy Batman on on the PC this week, and it turns out that might have been for the best because the, a lot of the news um, Tuesday morning was all the people who, even with compatible rigs, which is not a lot, still can't play the damn game because it's so broken on release. Matt, Matt my, can't my play can it. Run it. Your skin run it? You dick. Um, anyway, 
Well, I, we'll I have see. a six core i7 and <laughs> 32 gigs of DDR4 RAM. Well, I can run it. The thing I ran into problems with was the the video card. The video card they want is like at least a seven series, I think. So like if you're really? if okay, you're, so no, my I only have a 650. Mine's a 650 OC three gig. Card. Could it could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But it was like um a really really high end card for what the game is like. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure it's better, and I'm sure there's a lot of things about it that are more challenging and different than um, Arkham Origins or Arkham Knight, or I'm sorry, Arkham City, but I'm not sure that it's so wildly different that the the uh, game spec requirements are so completely different. But anyway, it doesn't really matter, because even if you have a compatible rig, the news coming out uh, today seems to be that the game runs terrible, um, there's a 30 FPS cap on it, and um, you can't achieve that most of the time. You get really random weird complete frame rate droppage down to you know two to four frames per second so uh yeah this is the like most disappointed i've been because this is one of the very 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 few games that i was going to buy for full price on launch day except uh can't yeah you were totally geeked about it on man i think one of our first episodes you talked about it Mm -hmm. um so here's here's where i'm gonna and I don't want to call it rushing to the developer's defense or anything like that, but uh, so from an IT perspective on things, um, which I'm sure people listening to this show probably have a little bit of knowledge about, um, it's extremely hard uh, to walk the line between console games and PC games because consoles are designed specifically to do nothing but game. Their processors are designed with gaming in mind everything about the system is is designed to run a game um which is why you don't see emulation um for current consoles like you don't have a ps4 emulator um for those of you internet pirates out there on your pc because your pc probably just can't handle it because it's it's not designed to do nothing but games it's designed to do everything which so it it has resources that go to this and that and the other thing where is your video game console as much as you can watch Netflix on it, it's designed for one purpose, and that's to play a fucking video game. So it sounds to me like Arkham Knight was designed to utilize our current gen systems to the fullest of their capability, and they're having a hard time porting that over to a PC um, environment that that's viable. Um, which is it necessarily great for the for those of us that do most of our gaming on PCs? No, it's not. Um, but it also means that the, those of us that play on consoles, uh, predominantly are going to get one hell of a fucking game. And that's, so that's, there's two ways to look at it. Um, I prefer to think of it as this is just a reason to try and talk my wife into letting me get a PS4 sooner. See, uh, I, I think you would have had more of a point with the PS3 generation, especially because it was the cell processors, the cell processors. We're now talking about a situation where all of the major consoles today, the the Xbox One and the PS4, uh, sorry, Wii U, no, you don't count, uh, are x86 based. Um, So the porting these days should be simpler, if anything, uh, to get a decent PC port out of these games, Um, but they're not. And the rumor I heard was something like the PC port was ridiculously rushed and only in the last, you know, something like six months, if that, and... uh, 
not actually by the studio that made the game, uh, Rock City made the game, um, but not the PC port of it. So um, this is something that sort of plagues. This is like if you want to talk about upsides and downsides of console versus PC, there are a lot of upsides to PC gaming. But one of the downsides definitely these days is that the console um, seems to be where the cash cow is for a lot of these games. And, I, and I'm sure Arkham, the Arkham games are probably a, a, one of the best examples of this. So we get a lot of shitty PC ports. Like that was a problem even with Origins. Um, although I don't remember it being quite this big a deal. Maybe because Origins wasn't this big a deal. But I don't remember Origins being as buggy at release. However, it's I also kind of remember hearing... child of the Arkham games. Yeah. I also do remember, though, that it was not exactly a perfect game on launch. Um, the same thing with Arkham City. I remember Arkham City actually had some trouble with the PC port in the early days, but it all kind of got fixed. So anyway, this brings me up to one of the things that I actually wanted to talk about, um, which is how in this day and age do uh, the game developers get a away with releasing what are essentially broken games um, and, and you have to pay 60 bucks for them? Like, and that and and first off, don't get me wrong here. I'm not simply talking about PC. The same thing happens on consoles. Skyrim for the PS3 was notoriously buggy, and it did all kinds of shitty things, like you know, delete your game saves randomly. Um, which you know, going back to how in this day and age do we release these hugely buggy games that you have to pay full price for? So, so the fault is twofold, actually. Um, the fault is the developers a because every everything is a rush at this point to get your your news out there. Um, so the gaming conventions, stuff like that, they make these big announcements. Microsoft with with was Skyrim at Microsoft? No, it wasn't. It was a Bethesda, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, Bethesda. Yeah. Which brings we'll talk about the other Bethesda news this last couple of weeks. So yeah, because they got a new game coming out. Um, yeah, little one. You never heard of it. <laughs> um. Anyway. But it's always big news because uh, gamers, if if nothing, we're notorious for we get a game, we beat said game, no. we beat said game again on ultra settings, or we take more time through the story and take alternate paths, whatever. Like we will, we will finish a game several times within its lifetime to try and get all possible outcomes at the end. Yeah, um, but it doesn't take very long, especially um, you know. And I'm going to throw this term out there loosely for the neckbeards that still live in their parents' basements. That's what they do. Um, you know, and then you got people like me and you who we got a family to come home to and we got to go home and go to work and all this kind of stuff. So our game time is is very limited, um, but extremely valuable to us at the same time. So um, we're looking forward to the new games as much as, as anybody else. So the, the developers announce way early, like before the game's probably even coded. They're like, this is the new game and this is when it'll be out. So they've already kind of boxed themselves into a corner. And then the other fault is us um, because we push for that. Like we want those games and we want them to come out yesterday because we've already beaten the one that came out yesterday, two weeks prior. Yeah. And pre-orders are probably through the roof from for Arkham Knight. Pre-orders um, through the roof for most games these days. Like, I mean, you fucking... I, I don't even know what kid games are <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, there could be pre-orders for a new SpongeBob game. You know what I mean? Because they pre-order everything. Yeah. 
So one small point of clarification, when we say developers here, we're not talking actually about the game's programmers. We're more probably talking studios. about the studios, the publishers, um, especially the publishers who really set a lot of the pace for these types of things. And so you get sort of the, stuck the with these. The same people that are wrong with the music industry. <laughs> yeah. You get stuck with these deadlines that were never realistic to begin with. But I, I don't know. This this feels to me like... Um, you know the 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 studios and developers in, in charge or you know some um producers in charge should probably take a little bit more time with the game to get it out you know in a in a reasonable state and i i don't doubt that this is another case of like well it's ready on the consoles uh who cares just shove it out on the pc um that's another piece of the problem too is is what you're touching on right there with the they're designing these games with a console in mind first because at the end of the day, there probably are more people with consoles than, or the game on consoles than, than game on PCs. Because, you know, your college kid may not have room for a giant gaming rig in the corner of his dorm room, but you can shove a PS4 under the bed if you have to. See, I disagree. I think the reason that um, consoles were big or are big are because of the simplicity aspect. Like, uh, one of the reasons that I initially switched over to console gaming probably... 10 years ago was because I bought a game and it wouldn't work on my rig, even though it said everything would work. And I spent like six or seven hours trying to get the game damn game to work and it wouldn't work. Whereas in the console world, you just buy the game, you shove it in your, your little, you know, um, di uh, box there and it works just fine. Most of the time. However, that's not even really true anymore. And so I think we're going to start seeing a lot more PC converts because these days pretty much everybody's going to have a computer anyway. And the only thing that's standing in between you and uh, your PC being a gaming PC is probably shoving in a, a fairly sizable video card. Um, with the exception of the fact that now that's not even is quite as true because everybody's moving to laptops and tablets and phones and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, yes and no. Um, you still have the contingent of of people that are console diehards. Um, yeah. You've got not necessarily your college students, but your, let's say, downtrodden stoner types that go to work at their minimum wage job and there's six of them living in one house because minimum wage jobs don't pay enough to, to pay your rent. They don't all have computers, but they like to get stoned and play video games as much as the rest of them. <laughs> so, I mean, they're they're buying consoles because the consoles... It, it's an easier platform to jump into. You know what I mean? Like anytime you talk about PCs and stuff like that, there's a reason why your IT department at, at work doesn't give you install permissions on computers. And it's not to keep you from playing games. It's to keep you from downloading shit. You're not supposed to download like viruses and such, because you don't know the difference between this EXE file and that EXE file or MSI file or whatever you're downloading. So, um, that's, that's where I think it comes in. And I, I think, I don't know. I haven't seen the numbers. We should probably, maybe I'll take a look at some numbers and, and, and our next episode, we can talk about the quantity of console games uh, sold versus PC licenses. Oh no, I'm sure it's like a million to one or something equally ridiculous. Like uh, I think you're right that um, one of the big allures to console gaming is that it's easier. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I wouldn't say PC gaming is hard anymore. Um, especially with Steam, um, but uh, it is definitely just easier to go buy 
a a um, console and then whatever disc sells at your local you know mega mart uh, um and plop it in there and have it work just fine yeah and the thing the thing about console gaming that's really appealing to a lot of people is you get a big 60 inch tv with a playstation attached to it no you get a big you get a big tv with a console attached to it and all you need is four controllers for four people to play at the same time you you start doing that stuff on pc and everybody needs to have their own pc no see there i'm gonna disagree because we're getting to the point where that's not nearly as difficult um like one of the things that i'm looking super forward to as a primarily pc gamer is um well a couple of things actually the 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 probably easiest sort of turnkey solution is the um steam uh um link i think is what it's called the steam link box it's a little share yeah it's a 50 dollar box but what it essentially does is let you run the game on your pc and stream it to your tv um and already my kids play a lot of like all the marvel lego games i i bought most of those on steam and they play the shit out of those on uh my pc with xbox controllers um and it works just great. Like the PC is really, really converging very quickly as far as difficulty goes with the consoles, partly because the PC is getting easier, but I also think the consoles are getting a little bit worse as far as usability goes. No, I, I mean, I, I agree with where you're coming from as far as it, it it's becoming easier on the PC, but that by no means is what the norm is or was oh, over no. the last several years. So we're still in that mode. Like we we haven't gotten to a point yet where everybody's kind of bought into being able to stream things or share and stuff like that. So um, my, my point about console gaming is just hooking up a controller and going is that's, that has been the norm for a long time for console games ever since the, what was it? The fucking GameCube or whatever that had the four controller ports. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think that's changing a little bit, but I, I still think that probably the, the lowest barrier to entry as far as ease of use goes it's still probably going to follow the console. I just, I don't think we're, the, the gap is, is much more narrow than it used to be. No. Uh, I, what I want to see the developers do is design a game from the ground up with a PC in mind. And then, and then make it compatible with a console because I don't think it would be nearly as hard. You know what I mean? And I don't know, cause I'm not, a, I'm not a, I'm not a programmer. So maybe I'm talking at my ass and somebody can tell me that and that's fine. Um, but that's just kind of how I feel. I actually kind of had the same thought, especially now that we're on sort of a unified architecture and all the consoles and PCs are all x86 based anyway. Like to me, it seems a little silly that we're still getting shitty PC ports, especially because if you're not aware, all of these games are designed on computers. Like it's not like these games are designed on Xboxes and things like that. The games are designed on on computers and then they're essentially made to run the best on an Xbox or a PS4 um, so I, I I don't get why we're still where we are, but there there's a couple games uh, for PlayStation that came out way back in the day that came out for the PlayStation first, but then were ported to the PC and they did a fucking terrible job. Um, Final Fantasy VII is one of them, hmm. and Tomb Raider was another one. Tomb Raider was a uh, was actually available on PC, I think, almost as early as the PlayStation launch. If not, I mean, maybe it it didn't follow by very by very far after. Um, but those were terrible ports and it was because they were designed for the PlayStation. There was no really Sony didn't have a giant drive or, or Eidos, uh, I guess, interactive or uh square. I mean, there was no real incentive for them to, to push that. Um, and then recently, I think last year, steam made available a, 
Final Fantasy, not a remake, but kind of a remastered Final Fantasy VII um, through yeah. Steam for like, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks or whatever, uh, which was pretty decent. And um, apparently that remake or remastered version of Final Fantasy VII is also going to be able, uh, available for the PS4 uh, by late fall this year for like 15 bucks or something like that. So um, just keep in mind, this is not the same as the Final Fantasy VII remake, which doesn't come out for, I think, a year or two from now. Yeah. Um, but if you if you haven't ever played the original game, getting the uh, the remastered one when it comes out for PS4 would be a good way to get your feet wet for that. So uh, you mentioned your kids play the Lego games now? Yeah. Lego Marvel? They, they freaking love the Lego Marvel game. Like... Um, they play played it all the time. Yeah, it's actually not bad at all. I, I think I'm like 95% complete. Yeah, no, I'm nowhere in that Because close. I'm fucking crazy when it comes to Lego games. <laughs> I, ha- I haven't played that much at all. Um, but no, they're, they're very... Um, actually, one of the things that the Lego games do for me is make me wish that we got more serious takes on um, um, superhero video games. Like the Arkham series is probably the only other like really good superhero video game I can think of. Um, but the Lego games are the other one, and I, I would say that it just makes me yearn for more serious takes on um, all of these characters because clearly it can be done. There's lots of cool ways you can handle the interactions. So I was trying to segue into my next topic, and I still will. It just isn't going to be quite as easy of a segue because you mentioned superhero games that aren't as playable. The one exception to that is probably Injustice. Which is a badass game. It's a fighting game. I mean, it's not a it's not a superhero like you know adventure type game, um, but it's rad. Have you played it? Nope. Okay, that's next kind of like a Mortal Kombat, like uh, that kind of fighting game or Street Fighter. It, it was actually created by the by by Mortal Kombat developers. So okay. it's yeah. It, um, in fact, my my I have the um, game of the year edition or something like edition that. or whatever. Yeah. So it actually has Scorpion in it as a playable character. Awesome. Um, Next time you come over and we do a podcast um, here, come over early and we'll, we'll we'll play it a little bit so you can check it out. But um, okay, it's it's badass. So my not so smooth segue from the Lego game discussion, <laughs> Lego Jurassic World, man. Um, so I saw the movie on Sunday. Uh, we won't review it today because Eddie hasn't seen it yet. Uh, We're going to see it this weekend. Just I'll throw this out there. My initial reaction was I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it, um, more so than either The Lost World or Jurassic Park 3. I can't tell you I enjoyed it more than the first Jurassic World or Jurassic Park movie because I actually saw it when it was released in theaters um, as, as a younger lad, and it was so cool to me to see that yeah, at that point. I, I think it's going to be nearly impossible to catch that. Like I would imagine the same is true for people watching Star Wars this Christmas. Like For those of you that saw Star Wars the first time in the theater... Like the best you can hope for probably is something that comes close to capturing that same sort of magic. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to it this weekend. We're going to see it. And, and I think it's kind of interesting because both the lost world and Jurassic park three were kind of like meh movies to me. And it seemed like the overall reception to those movies was kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, whereas we already know like uh, uh, Jurassic world has you know broken records and stuff like that and i think it's currently like the all-time biggest grossing opening weekend or something like that so um definitely a, a lot of people seem to like it I, i'm sure i probably will too um but yeah we're going to see it this weekend so shut up about it no 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 i'm not i'm not i'm not going to talk about jurassic world at all um in terms of the movie i i will say this jurassic park followed the book relatively well uh there was some things that didn't 
mesh with the movie, um, such as the uh, what's his name Hammond. He died in the book. Spoiler. Yeah, he died. Um, Spoilers. And, on and it. actually, we, we thought Ian Malcolm was dead by by the end of the book. So when they when he when uh, Michael Crichton wrote the the Lost World, um, that was actually centered around Ian Malcolm. It was kind of it was a surprise to me, um, but. That being said, there was a lot of things about the Lost World that didn't that didn't mesh with the book, and it kind of seemed like Jurassic Park three took a lot of elements out of the first two books that didn't make it into the movie, mm-hmm. and they they kind of created a story around those, and it it didn't work out well. William H Macy was in it, and he's good and everything, and Tia Leone is pretty much good and everything, but I'm not I'm not faulting their performances. I just think the the overall concept of the movie was meh compared to yeah the the ones that Crichton actually wrote. This is this is the first one that obviously was done with no input from Crichton because he's been dead for a long, long time, and this was all Spielberg deciding he wanted to kind of reinvent the the franchise, um, and and did a really good job of it. So uh, we'll talk about that next week um, after Eddie's seen it. But there is a Lego Jurassic World video game uh, that I started last night, <laughs> and apparently I have to buy it for my kids now because as soon as they hear about it, they're going to lose their minds. Um, it's really, really cool because it, it doesn't just encompass Jurassic World. It actually starts um, with the first movie, and awesome. so yeah, you, you you get you get a little Lego action from all the movies and stuff. And um, what I thought was cool about it is is how <laughs> obviously Lego games are oriented uh, toward younger folks, or maybe not necessarily toward them, but it's it's they can play it with no you don't you don't have to worry about what kind of content you know your kids are yeah are definitely into. um and i couldn't figure out why one of the dudes at the beginning was holding a giant sausage uh in the in the preview and <laughs> and and it and it actually kind of works out your first level and i'm just kind of going to go into the first level uh with with you guys right here but it's split up into two parts your first level is the opening scene of Jurassic Park when they're taught when they're trying to get the raptor cage or the raptor from the little the little transport module into the into the paddock, yeah. and it kicks free and sucks the guy in. Um, well, that sausage comes into play there because when you, the, your first level is actually maneuvering that thing into position, <laughs> and uh, the first half of the first level, I should say, and then when it when it kicks free, the raptor instead of eating the dude steals his sausage. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, uh, that was pretty clever, and then uh, and then it moves immediately from there into the desert where you meet uh, Ellie and and uh, Doctor Grant, and you're you're them, and you're switching back and forth, uh, uncovering skeletons in the sand in the desert and stuff, and then getting to the ultimate goal, which is getting to your trailer so you can get invited to go to Jurassic Park. Um, that's the you have to part of it, and then after you get there, the Jurassic Park that you get to is is um isla nublar and it has actually you can you can go to different parts and and all i i think you like lego star wars you may be able to go to episode two before episode one or you know whatever i i'm not really sure because i haven't really gotten a chance to play much through that yet um but it was fun uh it was a cool lego game you actually get to be dinosaurs in part of it so neat um I, I I'm kind of looking forward to the opportunity of running through the 
first levels as a raptor or something like that once <laughs> I unlock that. Uh, so yeah, man, I, I like the Lego games. Uh, they're I'm I have kind of an addictive personality when it comes to stuff like that. So anytime there's a game and you're like you're this percent complete, I'm like, well, I'm not going to be satisfied until that's a hundred percent. And the Lego games are cool for me because it's it's easily attainable. It just takes time. But even if that's like I have 20 minutes of downtime so I can run through this level and complete something that I didn't complete the last time, they're doable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, that that's the cool part about those games to me. All right. So last, last couple of topics we got. Um, Stargate, haven't watched any of it this week. This has been probably one of the least productive weeks I've ever had. You have ventured somewhat into season two, have you not? Because that's where we ended. I think I've watched maybe one or two episodes, and I'd have to IMDb them really, ch- really quick to check. If it's only a couple, let's not worry about it. Yeah, because we can get like a Let, four or five come back episode. To it, I th- yeah, yeah. Um, and then we got the musical mystery challenge. Internet smackdown. Yeah. <laughs> um so we kind of took the idea that that we we posted one another a couple weeks ago about having um about challenging each other to listen to some music uh eddie actually one up me went on facebook talked to a couple of our mutual friends and uh and we got some some feedback from the the audience as it were about some music that we should listen to uh, i don't have my facebook up so i don't remember volbeat was was a band um there was two albums in particular um that your brother-in-law suggested yeah uh from them and i think there was some taylor swift mentioned by your wife (laughs) (laughs) quite honestly there was a surprising amount of taylor swift in the thread um or actually i shouldn't say that surprising because i did say we're pretty much open anything and i'm not gonna lie i actually kind of like new taylor swift stuff so we've talked about taylor swift together before (laughs) about how we don't hate her and and then it was it it was funny because that was as soon as eddie made this post that was the first thing ash jumped to was was the taylor swift (laughs) have you uh this is an incredibly silly segue but have you been following any of the um apple music taylor swift news no okay so apple music um, which is essentially going to be a Spotify competitor, you know, very similar to Spotify. Um, they unveiled Apple Music a week or two ago at WWDC and said, uh, try it for three months for free. And it came out that none of the artists make any money during this three-month free trial either. Um, which, you know, of course, they're... Uh, 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 what do they call them? Middlemen, not middlemen. Uh, the people who write the contracts, the the labels, the labels agreed to. Um, of course, the labels agreed to not taking any money for these three months for free, you know, to help gain some traction and hopefully probably convert pirates because I would imagine that's the biggest competitor to um, buying music these days. Anyway, Taylor Swift was not happy about that. Wrote an open letter um, saying basically it's kind of shitty that the artists don't get paid during the um, free trial. And Apple totally reversed its position, which is interesting because it kind of actually just goes to show the power of Taylor Swift and shaming can do. Um, Because there's nothing really that I would say obligated them to do that. Like the labels and and thereby the representative of the artists that aren't getting paid 
agreed to that. Um, but here we are. You know, here's I'm gonna I'm gonna say a couple things about Taylor that um, I think are rather heartfelt and and not pandering any way, shape, or form. I like her. And I don't like her just because she has catchy tunes and things like that. Because I don't really listen to catchy music that much. But I, I, I my, my kids put Taylor on. I don't, I don't hate it. I like her though specifically because of the fact that she speaks her mind about stuff like this. Other people don't like it, um, which is stupid because it's absolutely. Anytime somebody is shamed for speaking their mind and standing up for what they believe in, I think is is pretty fucking ridiculous. I mean, unless you're being Lars Ulrich about it, you're not an asshat for doing it. <laughs> um, it's okay to have a dissenting opinion unless your dissenting opinion is completely moronic. Yeah, yeah. It's not even that they had... The Metallica Napster thing, it's not even that they were necessarily in the wrong about why they were upset about it it was how they went about doing it and and stuff like that anyway so fuck lars um and and in closing no (laughs) (laughs) um the other thing that people hate her for is because she writes music about her ex-boyfriends yeah i gotta say you know who else wrote music about her ex-boyfriends gwen stefani do you know who else sold a fucking shit ton of records because they were really good about that gwen stefani do you know who really sucked when she didn't write songs about her ex-boyfriend? Gwen Stefani. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, man, if it works, run with it. I mean, and Taylor, she's she's had a couple boyfriends that, like, been relatively high profile that... I don't know, man. Like, it didn't, it didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, but I respect her. I... See, I think the thing with Taylor Swift that um, is true, like a lot of the, you know, sort of pop acts that I would say a lot of people probably like us would dismiss, you know, like as in uh, metalheads, rock guys that um, really don't respect a lot of people who don't play their own instruments and that type of thing. Um, they're, they're really shrewd. Like Taylor Swift, I think, has demonstrated that she she is either really intelligent or she's managed by somebody really intelligent because she managed to take a relatively small, you know, sort of country act and turn it into this sort of juggernaut that is Taylor Swift today. Um, She's a pop phenomenon. Oh, definitely. Like, the fact that that we're even talking about Taylor Swift on this podcast, I think, is a little bit sort of a... Um, illustration telling of of what she's done yeah yeah so like i said she's either smart or she is listening to very smart people um because she really pivoted and i'm sure most people like i'm only casually familiar with taylor swift's you know like discography but there's clearly a point where she sort of pivoted and went a different direction and it's worked out extremely well um and and so same thing with something like apple music like she came out right this wrote an open letter that's actually really well received by pretty much everybody, uh, even so much so that um, Apple responded on the weekend to say, yep, no, we, we changed our mind. We're reversing our decision. So, um, yeah. And, and I, that, that was a funny thing, too. Like, Apple took the blame. Not like, oh, yeah, by the way, all your asshole, you know, labels that manage you guys agreed to this shit. Um, so, you know, no, but it's our fault. No big deal. Yeah. N- never mind the fact that your A&R guy is a fucking idiot and only cares about whether or not he's got another Lexus SUV in the driveway. Like, yeah, ne- never mind that it's the music industry just completely eating its own tail again. 
you know, like, here you go. Yeah, man. Here's here's the thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a couple things about the music industry, and I, I've said it before, but if you're a musician who is actively recording, don't count on record sales to make money, man. Go out and market yourself, and go on tour and sell T-shirts and whatever else you can sell, because your record label is gonna take every fucking thing else from you. The only thing they're good for right now is sponsoring tours, and they're not even necessarily good for that if you know how to market yourself. So, homegrown, man. That's that's my new philosophy on on things. If if you want to do things the way you want to do them, you gotta you gotta finance yourself or find a way to finance yourself. Fucking crowdsource that thing. Do whatever you have to do. See, I don't um, I don't think you can even quite discount record sales yet. I think that it's just not entirely clear to people like the new way forward as far as selling record or selling records go. Like I I'm still somebody who will buy records just not for a whole lot of artists like um but definitely it, it's not something that's completely gone yet um but is quickly moving out. But it, again, it's all in how you market yourself and how you position yourself and things like that like anyway. Yeah. What when I was a kid you could you could record a, a track off the radio or something. You could create mixtapes by doing that kind of thing. Um, and I mean, was it legal? I mean, by the letter of the law, probably not. But there wasn't any regulation on it. I think it's uh, fair use as as actually because it's broadcast. Was it fair use? Because yeah, so I mean, as long as you didn't play it for like your nearest twenty five friends, you're fine. Right, but you were never gonna get all of Appetite for Destruction on the radio because not all of Appetite for Destruction could be recorded or, or played on the radio. But now with the internet, that's not the case. Like we have access to anything we want whenever we want it. And there's nothing anybody can do about it at the end of the day. So you're going to probably sell some records, some, but the vast majority of people that listen to your music are probably doing it illegally. And it's because we can, not because it's right or wrong or or anything in between. You just you gotta market yourself with something that you can't get for free on the internet, and that's gonna be your live shows and T-shirts and bumper stickers and everything in between. Because your record label is gonna take ninety nine percent of what you get from selling a CD, but they're not gonna touch other stuff. See, so I'm not even sure that um, piracy is going to be the problem anymore. Like I think legitimate streaming services are going to be the problem because you know just like Netflix. I don't know about you, but ever since um, Netflix came along, like I downloaded a lot less movies because you can just pop on Netflix and it's all there. Um, totally. Uh, the same thing with Steam. Steam is probably the biggest deterrent to PC uh, gaming piracy I can think of because it makes it really easy, really cheap, and really convenient to just you know play a new game. And it's cheap. I mean, or not only Steam, but like um, Steam in conjunction with Humble Bundles. I mean, you can go on. Oh, yeah. You can go on Humble Bundle. Uh, you know, if you don't mind waiting a couple of years for a game, like they had. What was it? The um, Jesus game. Think of the name of the, the game series. It's pretty popular. <laughs> so popular, I can't even think of it. Um, it's kind of a steampunk uh, shooter type game. What the? Why the fuck? Can I think about this? No, um, no. Bioshock. Bioshock. Yeah, that's it. 
all the all the main Bioshock titles were on Humble Bundle like six months ago, and you could get all of them for fifteen bucks. Yeah, s- uh, same, and then and same. then you got nine other games that you didn't give a shit about on top of that. Uh, Steam Summer Sale was the same. So um, yeah. I, all the Bioshock games were super cheap. Anyway, all I'm saying here is when you're talking about music and piracy and who gets what, like music piracy, I think to me is a service problem. It's not a problem of like morality or anything like that. It's like you're clearly not providing what your customers want. Um, so you're not going to make any money. Like, uh, and I think, you know, again, we're seeing exactly that when uh, streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music, I'm sure, are going to be huge. And I think that's going to be the primary way a lot of people consume music um especially like kids like when i was 16 17 18 19 20 um i had no problem going out and spending 20 30 40 50 100 a month on cds to buy new albums like uh if you had given spotify to 17 year old me i probably would have thought you were you know pulling my chain or something like that um so i i think Anyway, like I said, piracy is is a service problem. Um, So as it relates back to Taylor Swift, uh, yeah, they make a good point. Like the artist should be getting paid. However, Taylor probably was um, not heavy handed enough in in talking about how exactly it was the labels that screwed over their constituents, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, no, and my my point is is obviously not to to dispute what Taylor is saying or anything like that because ultimately at the end of the day these musicians what they do is an art and they they put a lot of effort into doing that art and and I don't say that about every musical artist out there because I don't think One Direction probably puts a whole lot of thought into anything well, that see, happens. It depends. Like I've come to respect even but bands that I don't really like, like One Direction, and, and I would even say that Taylor Swift falls in this category. Although uh, for a lot of people, she's getting a pass, or or people that just seem to like what she's putting out. But there's a lot of effort that goes into these sort of mass market uh, uh, things. Um, that's quite a bit different from, you know, the music that you may or may not like. And I don't think that's wrong um, or bad. It's just clearly not my cup of tea. Um, Yeah. And and I think what makes me favor Taylor over One Direction is that I know for a fact that Taylor Swift writes a good portion of of the music that gets recorded. Even there, I'm not sure that with the, the latest stuff she wrote all that much of it no and that may be true um but with her earlier her earlier recordings she did uh, specifically write a lot of it herself and this kind of this this kind of lead me into a little rant on kanye but i mean you can like beyonce and i'm not saying that you shouldn't like beyonce or that you can't like her or whatever that's you know, whatever that's, it is what it is. Um, but when it comes to giving her an award or when it comes to Kanye saying that that award for best album should have been given to Beyonce, it's complete and total bullshit. Beck deserved every bit of that award because Beck wrote music that only Beck fans liked for a lot of years. And it took a long time for him to, to get into a place where he was writing music that he was still comfortable with but that other people liked. So to me, him getting that Grammy was a victory for 
the up and coming musicians or for the musicians that have battled a long, long time to even get their name recognized. Um, Beck's kind of a champion for people like that. And for Kanye to come up there and dismiss what Beck did and the work that Beck's done over the last 20 years was extremely disrespectful, especially since it took what fucking 16 different writers to get Beyonce's latest record out there. Yeah, that was none of which were her. I think that was the biggest <laughs> moment of Schadenfreude I've had in quite a while when, you know, like, they're referring to Beck as not a true artist. I mean, like, oh, yeah, Beck only writes all of his music, plays like 15 different instruments. You know, no, you're right. Beck, Beck doesn't. And and has written his music. I mean, when was when is the last Beck record come out that, you know, there's been a guest writing credit on? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, actually, it's funny. I was just reading an article er, um, earlier this week that said something along the lines of like, even Kanye's come back and said like, no, you know what? I was wrong. Beck's a cool guy, but you know, Beck, uh, and he knows his shit, but Beyonce, somebody, somebody give Beyonce an award. No, all I can say is if I were Kim Kardashian, I'd be a little bit pissed about how obsessed Kanye was with uh, Beyonce. Also, this is a tangent I never thought our podcast would take. Kanye and Beyonce. We're, we're now talking about Kanye, Beyonce, and uh, uh, Taylor Swift. Um, you know, that's just it, though, man. Like, I think we'd be doing our audience a disservice by not going down this. Whatever this tangent. tangent our our you know little minds take us, I guess. Yeah, because it's it's absurd to me. I mean, as as a guy who has always gone out of his way to listen to the smaller artists and, and things like that, and not just because they're the smaller artists, not just because I want to be different or whatever, but because there's really good music out there that a lot of people will never, ever hear. Yeah. And it's because they don't have a giant fucking multi-billion dollar corporate ad machine behind them. There's a certain amount of luck to um, making it in the music business. Like, not forget talent for a second. There's a lot of talented musicians that never make it in the, in the um, music business. Um, just purely because they, they miss that little tiny element of luck. So, yeah. Like, I, I, I do the same thing. Like, I like looking out for little bands and little artists and stuff like that that, you know, a lot of people haven't heard of just because... They're those little guys. Well, look at my favorite guitar player, Zach Wilde. Who's ever heard has of Zach enjoyed a moderate amount of of success? Yeah, I'd go a little further than moderate, but yeah. Well, but has he enjoyed the amount of success that somebody of his talent would have would have enjoyed had he been around in like the seventies? Oh, go go even further than that. Like you could like when you're talking about talent, as in like especially because Zach. Zach's a good musician, um, but Zach to me is another like guitar virtuoso. Like the the main thing with Zach, I think, is the fact that he's really fucking good at playing guitar. Um, but you can go even further and talk about a lot of uh, fantastically talented guitar players that have never e- enjoyed a modicum of mainstream success. You know, the first thing that springs to mind is Ingwie Malmsteen. Um, fucking brilliant. Yeah, he's an amazing guitar player. Um, absolutely would just shred all over, you know, anybody that you hear on the radio today. Um, but he doesn't enjoy the same success. And there's a lot of different reasons. Like part of it is simply because he's not, um, as mass produced sounding as, uh, um, and I don't say that in a bad way. Like the, the reason mass mass production is a thing is because a lot of fucking people like that, you know, whatever it is you're making in this case, music, um, 
but you know Ingwe Ingwe is hugely talented, but uh, nobody probably knows who he is outside of you know probably refuses to change his name so people can pronounce it either. Yeah, and that's that's another big thing. Like if you're like sad as it may be, like a record company looks at marketability, and if your name is Ingwe Malmsteen and you're not not in a in like if you refuse or won't change your name to something that rolls off the tongue easier they're not gonna they're not gonna put their money behind you yeah no definitely um you're not gonna have like seventh graders going did you get the new ingway album <laughs> you know um, well see that, that i don't know about that either because we've seen some silly ass naming conventions but um, well now that now that we live in a world of lady gaga maybe they could market him yeah but i think that time has come and gone <laughs> but I mean, I mean as far as part of it is you know what interests are and there's a reason mass production happens and there's a reason like mass produced music sounds like mass produced music and not again not necessarily in a bad way there's plenty of things that sound very you know poppy and happy that a lot of people like that you know an equal amount of you know people who like more indie sounding stuff won't like um but anyway funny trail digression yeah no i mean just I, I i look at it in terms of this it's it's funny because you look at at look at the foo fighters yeah and i'm gonna get hate for this until our podcast closes doors um which thankfully this doesn't really cost a whole lot of money to do so mm-hmm. fuck you because we'll keep doing it as long as we want yeah. um kurt cobain putting that shotgun in his mouth is probably the best thing that happened for dave Grohl. Um, and I'm not saying Dave Grohl would have done what Dave Grohl has done, even if he hadn't. I, I would really love to see that alternate universe because there's one thing about Dave Grohl today that I really, really love. And that's that he just really seems to like making music. Lots of different types of music, too. So definitely um, Foo Fighters is the thing you know him for. Um, but it's not like Dave Grohl hasn't done anything else since Nirvana. Although... I would guess that the vast majority of people probably don't know what that is. Well, and and don't get me wrong. I I am never, ever condoning suicide or saying that suicide is a good thing or whatever. I'm never Um, condoning getting shot by Courtney Love or her hired henchman. Or whatever may have happened, because I'm not entirely convinced that what happened was suicide. (laughs) So um, anyway, that's a topic for a different day. Um, Courtney lived in it. In the meantime, though, like Dave Grohl has gone out and made this musical juggernaut that we know as the Foo Fighters, and they're fucking brilliant. They're they're an amazing ensemble. They didn't start out as an ensemble. Like the only, there was only one other contributing musician um, on their first record that wasn't him. Yeah, and that was a couple of guitar tracks. So, I mean, Dave Dave Grohl pretty much is the Foo Fighters as much as uh, some people will deny it, but. The, the point I'm trying to make is if you days, listen I think to that's totally true, not so much anymore. But anyway, no, no. But if you listen to, um, well, even even as recently as in your honor, which I'll give you, it's been ten years or whatever. But they interviewed Taylor Hawkins about that record one time, and they're like, "So what made what made you guys decide to do a double album?" And even even Taylor Hawkins was just like, well, Dave said that that's what we were doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, I, well, first off, I think the band gets contribution, but I think everybody realized this, that it's kind of Dave's band. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, anyway, not not to not to stray too far off topic. What I'm trying to say is, 
Echo Silence, Patience and Grace. If you listen to that record, there's a lot of really, really soft melody to it that that all of a sudden just jams into full production metal or, or hard rock or whatever you're going to call it. The Pixies did that before anybody else ever did or before a lot of other people ever did. But nobody nobody knows about the Pixies unless you were around in the late 90s and listened to a lot of grunge or you know alternative rock and stuff like that. And the Foo Fighters have taken that musical style and, and kind of adopted it on their own and made it mainstream just based on the power that they have as as a band. Um, but there's a lot of bands like the Pixies out there that nobody nobody is ever going to know of or that very few people are going to know of because they just don't have the the media market machine behind them. And that's fine because um, I think they could probably still make a good living. Yeah. And doing what they want to do. That that was my whole point with that whole story. But I, I really I kind of have a man crush on Dave Grohl. So. Yeah, same. All right. Well, I broken leg, dude. Broken leg. Yeah. That was Never even talked about that. I I uh so the thing we're never talking about is that Dave Grohl was doing a concert, <laughs> fell off the stage, broke his leg, and finished the show. Uh cuz that's what Dave Grohl does. Finished the show sitting down while a dude was like splinting his leg and shit. Like Yeah. He's like getting all doctored <laughs> up right there. Like I have to wonder like how much drugs he was on at that point if they're like, "Okay, Dave, here's the thing. Here's a big old injection." Now go out and fucking sing Everlong before somebody stones your ass. Um, but no, just amazing. Like, do, 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 do. <laughs> okay, on that note, um, we've got to wrap up uh, because, you know, real world calls. Um, so uh, one one real quick shout out. Uh, one one of the things that happened during the recording of the show um, is I drank beer. Okay, I'm I, not going to lie. That happens during the recording of every show. Yeah, same. um one beer in particular uh that i drank though i started out the evening with and this was a beer that a uh, good friend of mine that i used to work with um helped create uh he is the assistant brewer at portland brewing company slash pyramid um this is called h7 it's a seven hop ipa um it was hopped in the kettle with four varieties of hops and then dry hopped with three additional varieties of hops on top of that um fucking phenomenal dude um uh i'm on untapped and you can rate beers on a scale of like 0.25 all the way up to five i give this one a 475 um just because of the fact that i generally prefer a beer that has that many hops in it to be 100 plus ibus and this was 80 not and don't get me wrong that's not a detractor by any means 4.75 for me because I'm a pretty discerning guy, is huge. Um, so I'm going to send the shout out uh, to my buddy Josh, uh, who helped create that beer. Keep doing what you're doing, man, because that was that was excellent. It was an unfiltered uh, seven hop IPA. Unfiltered is a big deal because when you're talking uh, brewing and stuff like that, a lot of people filter the shit out of everything. So there's it's it's super crystal clear and all that kind of stuff. Um, unfiltered. There's nothing wrong with it. It's got a little bit of sediment, um, yeast sediment in it that kind of clouds things up a little bit. That's okay. It's not going to kill you. I kind of like that. Yeah. No, I, I definitely prefer it. Um, and anyway, again, uh, I know you guys worked hard on that over at, at Portland slash Pyramid, and it was it showed. It was it was a delicious beer. So thank you very much for that. All right. Anything else? No. 
Thanks, everybody. That was Whatever for this week. You can um, tweet us at Whatever Show. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash whatever show, and you can email your questions, comments, and hate mail to questions at whatever.co. I'm Eddie. Matt. Hey. Uh, have a good week. Later, man. Bye. Yeah. Uh, I gotta grab another beer, so hold on. Alright. <laughs> I had to grab another beer, so then Eddie had to go and do something, and I'm actually looking at an empty webcam uh, that points toward his bed, and there seems to be an abnormal amount of lotion on the nightstand next to a giant box of tissues, so I'm going to let everybody else elaborate on what that might be for, Um, and, you know... He might cut this out. He might not. But I'm going to say for a possible episode title, Lubriderm and Tissues. Just throwing that out there. And for anybody else interested, um, his bedroom has a weird ceiling. It's actually got a, a vent in the top of the ceiling for the... Uh, I'm not sure if it's it's... They've got a window AC in there, so I don't know if they've got forced air air conditioning. Probably not with the window AC built in there, but it doesn't seem to make much sense to have a vent for heat up at the ceiling since heat doesn't generally fall. Um, and that's that's kind of interesting to me. I'm not real sure who designed the house. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they maybe it's designed to have a heat pump in it but doesn't have a heat pump. I don't know, you'll have to ask him. <laughs>